This is Cinema Degeneration. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. We're not that different, Dick. I do not enjoy killing, but it's my job. Someone has to do it. Maybe. Me. The hobo with a shotgun. He didn't just eat their bodies. He ate their souls. And I joined in. I'm gonna sleep in your bloody carcasses tonight! I suggest aspirin for the headache. What headache? I'm surprised you don't have a grenade launcher. Couldn't get a permit. Because I cut off his legs. And his arms. And his head. And I'm gonna do the same to you. All those moments will be lost in time. Like tears. <laughs> Is this trip business or pleasure? Pleasure, I hope. Welcome to the United States. Hamer Reinhardt, sometimes called Wolfgar. Born Frankfurt, Germany, 1946. Educated Paris and Patrice Lumumba University, Moscow. Currently self-employed. Occupation, international terrorist. You are to be indoctrinated in counter-terrorist techniques. Deke de Silva, age 35. Born and raised New York City. Honorable Discharge, U.S. Army, 1972. 52 registered kills. Occupation, cop. One man can bring the world to its knees. And only one man can stop him. Universal Pictures presents Sylvester Stallone in Nighthawks, coming in April. Alrighty, folks, welcome once again, ladies and gentlemen, to Cinema Degeneration's Rucker Hauer Appreciation Month. This is episode number two, and we are covering the first Hollywood, uh, the first uh, American movie made with, you know, the same year. It's the same year as the release of Blade Runner, but technically Nighthawks, uh, well, I just blew it. <laughs> Nighthawks came out first, so we were doing Nighthawks from 1981. So there you go. We are doing Nighthawks, starring, yes, of course, not only Rooker Hauer, but uh, Nigel Davenport, Billy D. Williams, Lindsay Wagner, and a small-time actor that you may not have heard of, Sylvester Stallone. 
But uh, joining me this evening uh, for the festivities and celebrating Rucker Hauer's uh, body of work is my good buddy Tim O'Saban of the Synapse Films Podcast. How are we doing? I'm doing good, Cameron. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. I'm doing better than anybody that was living in 1980s New York City. <laughs> that's that's true. Yeah, you have a better hairstyle than old sliced alone, that's for sure. Ooh, he had a magnificent mane back then. I, I don't think he, he sure was rock, I don't think he was rocking the the hairpiece probably quite quite then, but he looked magnificent <laughs> with his mullet and his beard. Oh yeah, the hair was so feathered. I thought he was going to take flight. Yeah, I thought I thought he was trying to take Farrah Fawcett's part away from <laughs> yeah. uh, from Charlie's Angels. But yeah. hey, he looked he looked cool as hell for 1981. I tell you, cool you know he did. You know, it was probably um, I'll I'll dare to say probably the coolest look Stallone's ever had. Maybe, he looked maybe, like Serpico. He looked like Serpico. Yeah, he looked like Serpico but with muscles. That's true. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Uh, yeah, but uh, even though I kind of muffed the the intro, folks. Yes, we are doing Nighthawks, uh, the first uh, Hollywood film by the otherwise foreign actor Rucker Hauer, who would you know went on to a great uh, career in you know, all, all all over the world, internationally renowned. But uh, now I got to ask before we get into Nighthawks, and I do the imdb synopsis and we get into detailing the film i gotta ask since it is an appreciation month is this your favorite rucker hauer you know film slash performance or do you have an alternate favorite um you know it's funny when when you asked me about this i picked out immediately it just jumped right in my head nighthawks i i just i think i remember this as more of i don't know if i remember it as an introduction to rudger hauer but he definitely stuck out in this film. I, I, I mean, The Hitcher is always the go-to. He's so great in that movie. Oh but yeah. I gotta be honest with you too. And I, I was so impressed when I saw Hobo with the Shotgun. Same. Um, yeah, I was Same. really impressed. I, I, I only watched it once. I don't know if I'll ever watch it again. I had a ball watching it. it his monologue and his monologue in that is great. Yeah, he made that movie way better than it needed to be, and it kind of reminded me what a tremendous actor he is. But he did so many interesting little films, especially like in the 80s and things like that. It's kind of hard to, to sit here and rack my brain through them all. But I would really, I mean, I'm going to have to go through the old standby. Really, I think The Hitcher is probably my favorite. That's a his. good choice. Yeah. The role, there is so. no wrong answer, you know, in, mm -hmm, when, mm -hmm. when you're talking about him. There is no wrong answer, but yeah, uh, the Hitcher is definitely one of the right answers, that's for sure. <laughs> it's great. It's a really great film, and it, it's it's a great performance. It's hard for, I mean, this, of course, is a movie podcast. Anyone listening, I'm not telling you something you don't know as an educated movie fan, everyone listening, but uh, it's hard for two people in a car for a lot of a film to keep you compelled. And they, they him and C. Thomas Hodd thought did a great job in that movie, so... Yeah, see Thomas Hall, you know, it, it was a good game uh, that the whole movie was basically a cat and mouse, mm -hmm. you know, but I love how they played off of each other. And there is a connection because I do think that the character that he plays in The Hitcher and the character that he plays in this film are very similar, including the including the fact that they're very friendly, evil SOBs. But they're super friendly. And there's a whole group of humans out there that scare the hell out of me. Because they're the only ones that ever fool me into being friends with them for a while or something. Is the people who are insufferably friendly. That are yeah. just not good people. 
And those are the people that have, in my life, who have, those, those people that have come in and out of your life and done you wrong, and you mm. let them in, and that's, yeah, he reminds me of that, because he's so insufferably friendly that you almost root for Rutger to be a good guy or to change his mind. But that's, right, that's right. the brilliance of his performances. He is who he is, and he just doesn't. So it's cool. I mean, in this movie, really, the only time he gets mean with anybody is the is the plastic surgeon when he uses the, that hook and he hooks his mouth and he's like, you're going to make me beautiful. You mm-hmm. know, and it's like, other than that, he is so suave and so smooth and again, so nice. Mm-hmm. But before we get too deep into it, let sure. me go ahead and give the quick IMDb synopsis and then we'll do our deep dive discussion. <clears throat> All right, Nighthawks 1981 is as follows. One of Europe's most lethal terrorists shows up in New York City. An elite undercover cop is designed to take him down by any means necessary. And I feel like that's pretty straightforward. I was feel like that was somebody who watched the movie once. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, There's definitely movie, a lot more it, going on. Well, there is, but I, I kind of, one thing that I've noticed about this movie is that it, it, it relies almost too the finished film that we actually see. Let's put let's let's start there. Right. This, because this as we know this this, is, this had a really troubled production. Yeah, as it was a classic 80s movie story. <laughs> I mean that that's yeah, absolutely. So it seems that it's really heavy on the characterization, but it's kind of light on a compelling plot. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And it could be that some of it seems quaint as 40 years old. At this point, over 40 years old the movie is, but it, 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 there, there's a bit of a something's there's a there's a piece of the story that seems like it's missing that would be holding your attention better. I can see that. that. I can see mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, you know, the in the beginning, they introduce the subplot of Stallone's character, De Silva, you know, trying to get back with his his ex, which I can't remember her name. Uh, it was Lindsay, Lindsay Wagner. Wagner. Lindsay yeah. Wagner, the plater, but I forget the character's name. I want to say it was Irene, but I can't remember. Mm-hmm. And I remember in the beginning thinking to myself, like, okay, this is going to be a heavy subplot. They're going to have to thin this out. But no, then it kind of leaves you wanting more of that because mm-hmm. I felt it was the one part that really, uh, for lack of better terms, like humanized uh, De Silva's character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I it it's... It's so hard because it's not there. So you don't know if it would have been a thorn in your side if it was there. Right. You know, would exactly. you be saying, oh, God, just just get to it. You know, I don't want to see this romance stuff. Because there, there are times in a lot of movies where I could do without the romance. You know, I mean, right, there, there right. really is. But at the same time, I think that because of the tinkering, constant tinkering with this, because, first of all, it's, it's, it's uh, Rutger Hauer is an international terrorist who is menacing New York and then Billy D Williams and and Sylvester Stallone are cops who get uh who get recruited uh, uh by an international terrorism anti-terrorism team you know basically led by Nat, N- Nigel Davenport so you got kind yeah, of the story that's, there uh Hartman is the character's name isn't it yes yeah. and so you get you're set up here for not an unusual story but but you know, you can be pretty compelling but I think that there's a couple things here that I, I know, even I think Rudger Hauer mentioned one thing that is sort of stands out is that you don't really know what Rudger Hauer is fighting for. 
You don't right. know why is he doing So he almost seems like a terrorist for hire. And I think that that might be something that kind of loses something because, to be frank with you, I don't believe in that. <laughs> like, I usually think a terrorist, no matter how ridiculous and no matter how insane and wrongheaded they are, they usually, as it's stated in the movie, they feel like they're the hero. Yeah, they want to be the hero. Yeah. They have like and, almost an insane desire to be the hero. Right. Exactly. And they, they think that their way that their cause is so great and so amazing that they're willing to sacrifice lives for the greater good of whatever their greater good they think is. You know, but Right. And that's you, I you think know. the one of the, the things that falls a little bit short. Now, like while I do like this movie a lot. And I'm very happy that you should. Uh, that this is one you chose because this is the movie that introduced me to mm-hmm. Rucker Hauer and made me scared shitless of him when I was a child. <laughs> right. Because he just had something in his eyes that just was chilling. But right. I, I never understood. I think you already said this though. Is I never understood quite what his cause was. Like when right. he bombs the the little boutique at the beginning, which I mu- must mention, this is the first time watching this that I realized that the girl behind the counter was Catherine Mary Stewart. Oh God, wasn't she beautiful? Holy, yeah, she's, she's still beautiful. Uh, still is, very is, but yes, she yeah. is. Yes, she is. But but, but like but, I, I didn't recognize. I was, I was, all of a sudden, I'm just like, oh, that's like Night of the Comet. And like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I think she had just done the Apple or something and then went. So she was just getting getting her career started. But she stuck out to me, too. I, I no recollection of her being. I mean, she's in such a short, short scene anyway. It's almost you know, like, can you miss her? Yeah, yeah. And and, and, and you're right. And the, the, so in the beginning of the film, Rudger Hauer definitely sets up he is a terrorist, you know, and it's it's a cool scene. It is. Yeah. It's done really well. So creepy. And, and, it is, and, and he just walks out, and he has his, his one finger in his ear because he knows it's going to be loud and stuff, and that's so great. But I think what what you either need to make Rudger Hauer into the Hitcher doing this, or like a Michael Myers character, meaning meaning you know the the emotionless, straight faced, just no conscience uh, bastard doing this, or you need to give a lot of why he's doing it, but you exactly. get neither. You get neither one, so he he is thinking. He's not dumb. No, he's very cold and calculated and and, and intelligent. But it's just without no. What's his end game? I guess is kind of like what I'm after. Right, exactly. So you get movies like later on, like let's say Speed. We have basically Dennis Hopper being a terrorist. You know, some of the Die Hard films you get like terrorists. You know, they're doing something, and these guys are usually cartoonish. Just evil villain type guys or whatever. And you can buy that. They're just crazy, whatever they are. But this movie is different than that. And right. it feels like you're selling Rudger Hauer short. And I think they did sell Rudger Hauer short. Well, you know, and it's by no fault of his, you know what I mean? No. It's by no fault of his because he could do no. what is given to him as the material to absolutely on the written absolutely. page. Agreed. But yeah. still, I have to say one hell of a, and, you know, an entrance to, you know, he's an air quotes here that you can't see, but what an entrance to Hollywood. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Here's here's something interesting, really, too, that that completely I missed this part. When 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 that scene comes on the very beginning and I'm looking at Rudger Hauer, I'm like, is he wearing prosthetics or something? Like, I, I'm looking at him going, boy, he looks kind of weird. He looks a little 
a little different, you know. And right. Stuff. And so I watched this with Angie, who is a movie fan like we are, but but she just likes watching them with us. She doesn't necessarily get into the nitty gritty. As a matter of fact, she has to suffer through me talking through these movies, telling her who the, you know, who the grip was in that scene. You know, you know how it is. I'm as sure does do my wife. It does, as does Patty. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm doing this to her, and I say, well, and they must have had prosthetics on Rudger Howard. And she didn't really respond to me. So I let it go. She didn't recognize him. Oh, that she didn't. surprised me. She didn't recognize him. She knows who Rudger Hauer is. Now, again, she's not the movie freak like we are, but she's very well versed because she watches these, these things with me all the time. And she definitely, everyone knows who Rudger Hauer is. She definitely yeah. knows who he is. Anyone who's anyone knows who Rudger Hauer is. And if, and if you don't, I, I don't want to know who you are. Absolutely. Uh, we, <laughs> and I mean that's the nice possible. Yeah, we we even just watched one of his lesser known films, Past Midnight. Oh yeah, uh, the, Natasha Richardson. Yeah, well. I think yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. We I I have, I have a, a rare Blu-ray of it, and we we watched it, and you know, so it's not like Rudger Hauer is not well represented. You know, she didn't recognize him. Uh, kudos, I, I was that Dick Smith. I think Dick Smith was doing makeup on that movie. I'm pretty sure Dick Smith was doing the the makeup on that movie. And again, if, it's, once if it is again, indeed Dick Smith, then that explains why it was so damn good. Yeah, I mean, so there you go. I mean, it's great. But I I found that very fascinating that cuz I thought he was easily recognizable. Um he's got his he's got an interesting look, a great look, a great way about him. And I think that that kind of came through the the makeup or whatever he had on the beginning before he gets the plastic surgery to make him into the real Rugger Hour, I guess you could say. Into the Rugger Hour uh, we've all come to know and love. Yes, yes, absolutely. Good cast, though. He's just the tip of the iceberg of this movie of a great cast. Oh, I mean, let's talk. I mean, we got Billy D. Williams as Foxy. Mm-hmm. He's great in it. I think another detriment to the film is that they don't use him enough. Agreed like 125,000%. Yes. Because the last, last third of the movie, he's pretty much absent other than being a sniper at one point. Like after mm-hmm. he gets, you know, you know, quote unquote wounded, they just kind of take him out of the picture. Which mm-hmm. is sad because he's he's got charisma and chops for fucking days. He's great. Lindsay Billy Wacky D. Billy, Billy D. Well, real quick, I I, I want to tell your audience this too. There's a movie I think it's from 1973. It's called Hit, with an exclamation point at the end. Watch that movie if you have any doubts about Billy D. Williams. Uh, it even has it down. I know of it, but I have never seen it. It even has, I think, Richard Pryor in it in a really cool role. I mean, I, Billy D. Williams is not, you know, Lando Calrissian in that movie. He's not the Colt Forty Five ad guy. You know, he he is something different, and he's amazing. And so I totally agree with you that he's underused in this movie because I think he would have been a total asset had he been given the opportunity to kind of toughen up a little bit and play a character more like he did and hit. But so I agree with you. I just wanted to kind of throw that out there. Cause it, it, I, I thought that when I was watching it, like, Oh, they could have used Billy. I mean, they had him. You have Billy D Williams in your movie and you're just going to let him do the nice guy, Billy D Williams thing, which he always did. And I, yeah, anyway, <laughs> I get yeah, I mean, really other than the opening yeah. scene with him when he's got the, uh, the guy from Hill street blues, who I forget the name of him that, that plays the, part of the group that him when him and stallone raid the drug den 
uh-huh. and he gets into the argument. I can't remember the name of the character, but the actor that the, he was he was undercover guy and that was in Hill Street Blues all the time. But I forget his name and I didn't okay. write it down. But he, he's got the gun on him and he's like, "I'm gonna kill you, motherfucker!" And then he uh-huh. way he looks up and he makes eye to eye contact with that like clearly 10 to 12 year old child that's in the group with him and he just has that moment where he's like oh shit like uh, yeah it's great yeah it's a great great scene harsh harsh scene but yeah it's really good i agree totally agree yeah but also somebody else that's in this movie that you can only catch a glimpse of and it's really sad that you can only catch a glimpse of them because they give them absolutely nothing to do other than just being an extra is uh steve dash steve oh i did not see steve dash in that he is part of the uh, the uh, ATAC, the Anti-Terrorist Action Command Unit. He's just one of the extras in the background. I did not even notice him. I'm usually pretty good at noticing someone like that. Like you, you know, you like one guy we I know we both see everywhere in these movies. Kane Hodder. Like, yeah, I think Kane Hodder delivered film stock to, <laughs> and you weren't allowed to use it unless you put Kane in the movie. He's like the John right. Carradine of like the nineties and eighties, you know. But but I'm saying I did not. I didn't notice Steve Dash in that. So he was in that movie too. He yep, must have been doing, was he doing stunts, I guess? He was, I think he was likely doing stunts and then just got kind of brought in and like, hey, you're the you know 18th cop from the left. Because that's, because Dar Robinson was a star, was a stunt coordinator on this. Yep. So that's pretty interesting that if that's true, then that means Steve worked for Dar. Yeah. Yeah. It, it interesting. Was like, he wasn't credited as Steve Dash. I had to look it up. It was oh, credited like, as Steve Dash, his, his full name, Dash. His real name, his real name, yeah. right. Dashwinski or Dashwinski or something like that. Dashkowitz, yeah. I think it is. Okay, is that it? Yeah, yeah. I know it's long and hard to pronounce. Dash is much easier. I don't blame him for using that. <laughs> for but, sure, yeah. You know, even uh, somebody who, you know, a couple of names that I'm picking out of here of, of people that I, you know, didn't... Uh, notice in the movie but they were uncredited uh jim beaver who oh was he yeah he was a a quote-unquote extra subway passenger somebody that was just Uh uncredited and then someone we we gotta mention we gotta mention because we love him here on this show but joe spinell or as Uh i like to call him joe fucking spinell because he (laughs) deserves that added to his name as lieutenant uh uh, manafo manafo i yeah (laughs) yeah yeah he is great. And again, somebody else that I would have liked to, I mean, I'm not that I'm not a Stallone fan, you know, I'm not saying that, but like, right. When, when you got all these like, other great subplot characters <laughs> in the movie, I'd much rather see a bunch of them than anybody else. Right. Well, the character actors are the best actors on the planet, you know, which yeah. is, which is why you'd rather watch them. I, I have a question for you. So, so now there's a, I, I want to know if you know more than I do about this. Cause I found this very curious about about Joe Spinell. Now, Joe Spinell and, and Sylvester Stallone in their younger years were very, very good friends. And Joe Spinell helped out Stallone. I think he actually even gave him money and stuff to keep, like, he really was his friend. He, he helped support Stallone when, when, when he was younger. And they did some stuff together. And this was, this, Joe, I think, was in this movie because of that friendship. And this was the last film uh that they were in together i don't think they ever spoke again something happened on this film between the two of them and i've never been able to uncover dig up what it was why they never worked together and i don't think they were even friends anymore after this film no i don't know why i know of all that but i 
I know pretty much probably what you do. I know that something happened. There was an argument of some sort, but I'm not sure what it was over. Or I, I have no insight to that at all. I wish I yeah. could. I, 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 I wish I, I could answer you, that for you. Yeah, I didn't know if you had read something or heard something I didn't see or anything or any even a clue because I didn't even hear about an argument. All I ever heard was that they just weren't. Now, I will say that this is not a secret either, that we know Stallone was a pain in the ass in this movie. I mean, we yeah. know that we know he basically took it over. I know um, him and Rucker Howard did not get along uh, swimmingly, right? Yeah, but movie. what I'm wondering is if is if it's Spinell looking at Stallone, going, "I paid your rent, mother effer." You know what I mean? Like you ain't <laughs> telling me, yeah, you ain't telling me where I didn't hit my mark. I mean, you never know because Spinell was a much more seasoned actor at that time. Than, than Stallone was, and, and Spinell knew that he was just, a, you know, a secondary character in this movie, and Stallone was a star of it. But I think that's another thing, too, because going through the cast, you look at it, and with it being Rutger Hauer's first American movie and everything, yeah, Stallone, I guess what they had, the, the first test audience they showed it to, people really were drawn to Rutger, Harris, Rutger Hauer's character. Stallone's was was what it was right you know like he was like, there yeah he was there he was playing the part he was supposed to but people were really drawn to drawn to Rudger Howard's character which how could you not when you watch this and Stallone didn't like that so they tinkered with the movie to make it focused more on Stallone which if you tinker with the movie and you tinker with it in a way that draws away from what the audience liked then yeah, you're only doing it for a personal reason because you want an audience you're supposed to want an audience to like the movie so when you yeah. take everything away they liked that to me is arrogance but that's yeah, my opinion, that's I when suppose. that's when you're wanting them to like you more than you want them to like the movie yeah but that's that that and in and, and fairness again stallone is very upfront by saying yeah i was like that Oh, yeah, like and he even, I, I did read a quote where he said that if he could go back in time, he would punch himself in the face for some of the things that he did. Yeah, yep. And I think that says a lot. This, uh, that shows, if anything, some personal growth to be like, yeah, I, I was an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> it was me. Yeah. It, it wasn't you. It was me. And somebody who's a, a, maybe humble pie every now, a couple of times. And at, by this point in his career, even Stallone has eaten humble pie a few times. Yep. You know, doing yep. stuff. So to totally agreed. Um you did mention when you were talking about I'm, I'm kind of helping us throw us back toward the cast because you did and I and I rudely interrupted you when you were mentioning Lindsay Wagner when you're going down through the cast. Um, oh yeah, and um, she is again somebody who's sorely underused in this movie and cut out. And that wasn't Stallone because Stallone did not have final edit; the studio did. So from what I had uncovered, the studio just really just wanted to tighten the movie up and didn't want to have the dramatic scenes because one, one of the things that's touched on the, in the movie um, and they almost needed it for the final for, for the finale was his un and this is such a cliche at this point but his uncomfortable on and off relationship with his ex-wife or estranged wife you know cop, cops in movies 
never have a good marriage. If they do, nope. they're going to get killed. Yeah, they're going to get killed, or they're going. If they do have a good relationship, they're going to end up leaving them at, at well, the very least. Right, or the spouse gets killed. One of the two. It's not going right. to end well for anybody. <laughs> you know, they really, they really take the heat in these movies, but, especially yeah. back in in the eighties, back in those oh. days. <laughs> oh yeah, you might yeah, get away absolutely. with letting that letting them survive today, but not back then. No. Right. So Lindsay Wagner, you know, they, they have a whole. There's a whole part of this movie where. You know, Stallone and her are going through their issues and things. And I guess it's supposed to flesh out Stallone a little bit more and stuff. But, you know, you look at it from a 1981 perspective. It's like you got the bionic woman in your movie, man. And you're going to basically relegate her to a a, a, glor- a glorified cameo. You know, right, right. And I'll be honest with you. I think the only reason she's even in those scenes in the beginning is to make is to have the end make any sense at all. Right. Because, I mean, Without it, it, you know, it bookends the movie. It, it mm-hmm. is like it's like a comedian telling a, a joke and bringing it around full circle at the end of his set. Exactly. You exactly. know, like when was when De Silva is like, we're ruining stuff here for you, for you folks. It's also a movie that's forty one years old. So if you haven't seen it by now, uh, pause it, the podcast, <laughs> go watch it because we're giving spoilers. But and you you've know, had time to see it already. Yeah, you've had time to see it. <laughs> and if you're here for Rucker Howard Appreciation Month, God, I hope, folks, I hope you've seen this movie. But anyway, oh, I agree with that. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, the opening of the movie was Stallone in in drag. You know, as De Silva, you know, being an undercover cop, you know, taking out those punks. I, I, I will have to say, I, New York was a certainly different sort of time back then. It was a yeah. d- different era. But, but you know, him taking out the you know those those thugs and chasing them down was a great opening mm-hmm. the way things work out in the end which we will get to it here in you know in a few moments but we'll right, work to right. it but without it one without that opening scene the ending doesn't make sense and without no, it does Wagner's character yeah. it most certainly makes absolutely no fucking sense whatsoever I agree. and we got yeah. the whole subplot of um uh was nigel davenport's name hartman mm-hmm. you know when he's this what he even brings up you know, the estranged wife. And he's like, that. why your wife left you? Because you're a cowboy and blah, blah, blah. And like, you know, you got that standoffish moment between Stallone and Davenport. And he's like, yeah, I know that about you. What do you think Wolfgar, which we haven't mentioned it already, that's Rucker Hauer's name in the movie, Wolfgar. He's like, you know, if he's going to know everything about you, like I know everything about you and probably more. So without that, without Lindsay Wagner, the ending doesn't make any sense. Right, wouldn't, it, right. wouldn't have been able to happen that way. And, and not to mention, that's it, it just that's why it doesn't make sense that she's not in it more. At least well, an, a, an extra scene or two scenes, yeah. something, anything, you know? Yeah, I, I would think the, the, the people putting money into the movie probably thought the same thing because she wasn't cheap. <laughs> At that time, Lindsay Wagner was one of the biggest stars on the planet. Oh yeah, she was a bionic and, woman for fun. Yeah, sake. I mean, I mean, and people who are not Cameron and I's age don't understand that that was like the TV show. They don't even people don't even understand what TV meant. TV was our phones. We were all mm-hmm. we were all hypnotized by our TVs, like you know, because we're we're constantly hypnotized. You know, before TV, we were all hypnotized by radio. Before that, it was newspapers. You know, so the media, it, there's always a boogeyman or bogeyman, whichever way you call it. And and at that point. You know, TV was. It, everybody watched it. And Lindsay Wagner was one of the biggest stars because not only did we have the Bionic Woman, but we had the $6 million man, which she crossed over to. So if you didn't watch one show, you certainly saw her on the other. And to, 
pay someone whatever it was they had to pay her. Because I, pr- I promise you she got paid more than Persis Kambata got paid. Yep, yep. So, and Persis isn't it much more. And, and so, and still, I feel like Persis isn't, uh, as the Shaka character, isn't in it enough either. No, no, she's not. She is, you know, such yeah, a but, good actress and such yeah. a good role. Uh, I, I don't, I, 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 I'm straining to call her Wolfgar's like right hand of Doom or anything, but that's kind of basically the character she plays. Like, she was like, yeah, she was his goon. Yeah. In a way, you know, I mean, but she gave the she gave some of the only information about Rudger Howard. Too. There was something there, that's part of it too. Like, where was where was the part where Rudger where Sylvester Stallone really got into uh, Rudger Howard's head and figured out who he was and everything? Because it never really seemed to happen. And I think that's what was part of missing it too. In a movie like this, where you have two egos clashing. It doesn't make sense to strip away most of one character's persona, which would be Stallone's, which a studio did. And then after the villain, who's the most compelling character in the movie, after the star has stripped away his chutzpah. Yeah, you know, they, they basically the stripped them both down to bare bones, so to speak. And so Stallone kind of got what he deserved because he did that to Rudger Hauer in a way, too. What's happening here to me in this film is that it's it's being stripped away to the point that the stuff that could have made this into something even more than it was is not there because of everything being stripped away and being compromised. Too many cooks in the kitchen yep, is, yep. Is, 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 the, is the kind of thing. Um, well, the director and, was fired. The original director was fired after one week. So that already tells you what the uh, right. You know what I mean? What was going on with that movie? Jeez. Sure. Sure, absolutely. You know, and and that's that's the thing. And then they brought in a friend of the one of the producers, you know, to to uh, uh, direct the film. He did a good job. I mean, that, was it uh, uh, Bruce Bruce Mal Malmuth or Malmuth Mal- or whatever? Malmuth, yeah, yeah, yeah. He did Hard to Kill. He's done a couple of action movies, you know. So it's it's you know it, it it wasn't really that, you know. It was just everything like on top of each other. And look, here's the thing. I'm with you. Look, this movie in '81. I'm I'm 49. I'll be 49 like a week or two. So in 81, I, I, I was, you know, I don't know, eight years old, hit, hypnotized by my TV, by movies and stuff. Completely by the time I was this age, I was completely uh, uh, dumbfounded by films. They were, they were amazing to me. I was already in love with them. This was one of those, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? This, this, it was a forbidden film. Do you know what I, do you know what I mean by that? I mean, yeah, Porky's uh, was a forbidden film. Forbidden meant guys near Cameron's age who were kids. We definitely saw these movies advertised. Well, these we weren't movies, allowed to see them. <laughs> right. These movies did a good job. The advertising for these films did a great job of making sure kids our age saw the, adver- the advertisements. But they also made sure to tell us, but we weren't allowed to see it. So yeah, yeah. to me, that it was, was an it was kind of almost like a, a naughty movie. So the made you like want to see. That's it what I mean. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Porky's, same thing. Uh, Friday the Thirteenth. These were forbidden films that if you got to see them, you maybe were lucky, and they would play them edited on television. You know, and I'm talking about folks that you know whose parents back then parents were kind of on top of kids a little bit more for the most part, at least in my opinion, it seems like. So. You and I think on my podcast, actually, I think you had talked about your mom 
if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. your mom kind of got you into the movies, but she would bring movies home and stuff and let you watch them. So she kind of, so even though it might not have been forbidden, you were still seeing things through her prism. Yes. So I, my I parents. Was, I was being able to, I was able to watch what she brought home. <laughs> right. Exactly. So my parents, like, they were just, just, you know, uh, a, as were most parents at the time, concerned parents who weren't going to let me watch a rated R movie. You know, that's kind of like, was pretty normal back then or whatever. So this movie was a forbidden film. Whatever was happening within this film was too rough for a child like me to see. So what did we want to see more than anything? We wanted to see Nighthawks. <laughs> we yep. wanted to see, and the advertisers knew that. We wanted to see Friday the 13th. We wanted to see Porky's. We wanted to see American Werewolf in London. We wanted to see these movies that looked all glitzy and all fun, but you couldn't see them. You know, yep. so, so we couldn't wait. Nighthawks was, was such a part of that that you didn't even know what kind of movie it was. You know, you didn't know. Because if you remember, I'm pretty sure, I can't remember, and, I, I'm, and somebody might, some movie nerd much smarter than me, which there are many of them out there, might say, you're wrong, pal. If I'm not mistaken, even the movie Terror in the Isles had some scenes from Nighthawks in it. Actually, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's how I came to watch this movie. Well, there you go. I saw Terror in the Isles, the one hosted by uh, Donald Pleasant's band. And Jamie Lee Curtis, right? Was it Jamie Lee Curtis? or was Um, No, it it was uh, Nancy Allen. That's it. That's it. Yes. See, I didn't even remember that, but I remember Nighthawks being... But, you know, I remember uh, Nighthawks being wrong. involved yeah. in that. I remember the, that's how I heard about a lot of like movies. I was just like, ah. you know, I just wanted to to see Aliens because of that movie. I wanted to see, you know, mm-hmm. I wanted to see The Exorcist because of that movie. I wanted to see Chainsaw Massacre because of that. But you know, mm-hmm. without any context, I was just like, who is this? You know, this guy that you know, at that point I had uh, I knew who he was. You know, I had seen you know Blade Runner and whatnot, but it's just. Just you know, everything that was hosted in that movie, Terror in the Isles. I'm actually so glad you brought that up because not many people even know what that movie is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's, it's basically a clip show. You know, no, it's just a little documentary. That's that's like it's it's uh, yeah. I mean, they show Jaws in it and like other things. And it's a little documentary that they showed in theaters that was actually fairly popular at the time. That was an advertisement for a lot of movies that were made within the last 10, 15 years, or even before that. I think Psycho's in it. Yep, Psycho's um, in it. You know, uh, A Vice Squad was another one that I think was in it. And that's not a horror film. You know, and that's the thing. So this, so when we were kids, we probably both were allowed to see Terror in the Isles before we'd maybe be able to see Nighthawks. So you, not only did you see a trailer for Nighthawks or, or a TV spot, now you get some clips and some yep. of the spookier clips and stuff in it. So, as far as I knew, it was a slasher film. That's actually what I had thought at the time. I was just like, this is just an international slasher guy. I didn't really get it across that he was a terrorist from those clips and those trailers. Right. And then, so when you realize in the movie then that they really don't give him much of a cause to be a terrorist for, you're kind of left with that. Well, and another to... thing I have, I have a question of, like, Okay, like in the early scene after he he, uh, he bombs the boutique with uh, Catherine Mary Stewart, mm-hmm. uh, the guy I 
got again forget the actor's name that plays kenneth that's basically the quote-unquote rat that shows up ruining what is pretty much a really good swinging party that's going on oh yeah <laughs> he ruins a good party <laughs> that's that party's so awesome rugger Hauer showed up with his own acoustic guitar you know you know what's <laughs> going down 1981 Roger and Howard I do have up to your party with an acoustic. <laughs> oh, I know, right? And I gotta yeah. say, I do love the line when he's like, when he sees the guy show up and he he's saying goodbye to the girl he's smoozing with, and he's uh, like, "Please stick around," you know. He's like, "I promise, I am really very interesting." Like, <laughs> he, he's not lying. He's not lying. Right, right, right. But uh, you know, when uh, that happens, and they talk about the character Mercer. That is supposed to be the quote unquote boss, the guy is hiring him. I just wonder, like, why did we never see Mercer? They have a whole conversation about him. I don't know if like he was cast and cut out or written off or what, but it, it made no sense with his, you know, what he t- it makes sense that um, Wolfgar takes the guy out because he brought the police to his front doorstep. So, you know, he, he's, he's got to, you know, to protect himself. Right. But uh, like, who is this Mercer guy he's working for? What is their end game? And, you know, why, if they wanted him to blow up a p- place, and they're like, oh, there was there was women and children there. Well, what point were they trying to get across? Do You know, what was, again, just what was the... Uh, right, no, I Not I just agree. Wolfgar's yeah. end game, but what was the end game of the guy that he was working for that we never see or even hear on a phone or anything? Right, right. Well, I mean, you're right. I mean, so so it's... it's The, 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 the story becomes more compelling if you know his motives. So if, exactly. you, if you, you know, like even I think I mentioned Speed earlier as a movie that has like a crazy terrorist guy, like threatening a whole city, you know, Dennis Hopper. Well, well, you know, he's a disgruntled ex-cop of some sort, if I remember correctly. He's he's mm-hmm. he, he was involved somehow and he's disgruntled. And, and I'm remembering that now. I haven't seen Speed in oh, 20 years, but I'm still remembering that because, oh, that's right. That's why that guy was off his rocker. You ask yeah. me now when I watched uh, I've watched this movie a couple of times over the last couple of weeks just to brush just to brush up on it. I, I still couldn't tell you what the hell Roger Hauer like was after. I mean, I know that it had to have been something international because they kept saying international and he's and he he's, kept trying to blow up the uh, people from the U.S. Yeah, he's so. yeah. Yeah. He's menacing people like international like like diplomats and stuff. Yes. From the U.N. and everything. Uh, but we never really know what it is so yeah it i just guess has a little they, bit it has a less of an impact it's just like if you can understand what the person's motivations are you it, get right. behind the the you know the characterization of it's, <laughs> it's the opposite of like the movie jaws or halloween where you don't want to feel for the shark you don't really want to care it's scarier not to know why michael myers is just walking toward you the knife for no reason other than to kill you this needs more you know, this, yeah. this this doesn't work with that. You know, you need to kind of get these characters are are presenting themselves as complex people, but you give no complexity to what's going on. Because and again, I know what it is. It's too many kicks in the cooks in the kitchen. Yep. Too and many all people peeling. writing room in the writing room, too many people directing, too many yeah. producers with their hands in the pie. Right. There's three directors in this movie. You have Gary yeah. Nelson, you have Bruce Malmuth, and you have Sylvester Stallone. Yep, because even he directed a, a yes. scene or two. Yep, yes, he did. I wanted to bring up something too because there there was a guy that stuck out to me, and I'm like, I know who that guy is, and I'm almost, but I, I have to admit this because it is kind of funny, but I'm almost embarrassed I recognize this person, and I'm I'm a little sad I didn't uh, recognize Steve Dash. Are you? Uh, know I wonder where I'm going if you. Uh, I think I know where you're going with this. I'll tell you if I'm right or not. Okay, 
the designer guy in who's <laughs> talking to to talking to Lindsay <laughs> Wagner. Yeah, is named Jamie Gillis, infamous seventies porn star. He was a porn star. Now I know who Jamie Gillis. I'm, I'm, you don't have to believe me if you don't want to. It's fine. I know who Jamie Gillis is not because of his porn, but because he was in a movie called Night of the Zombies in the same year, eighty one. And oh, that's Zomb- right. That was the same year, wasn't it? <laughs> yes, and Night of the Zombies was one of those deals where you know you have a guy with the name with name recognition, Jamie Gillis. Even though he's a porn guy, he had name recognition, and they they cast him in that film to kind of help the film get off the ground. But it's not a porn film, you know. It's a it's it's Night of the Zombies. If if it was a porn film, I saw a heavily truncated VHS version of the movie because I would have remembered it had it been a porn film because I bought that VHS when I was a kid. And it seemed to be pretty tame. But he was in a movie. And I remember on the VHS, because it was one of my first few VHSs, they really pushed the fact that Jamie Gillis was in it. And I remember even as a kid looking at it going, the fuck is Jamie Gillis? Why am I supposed to know who Jamie Gillis is? Well, I wasn't supposed to know who he is. Yeah. But someone into adult we, films. We, at the time when this came out, we would have not known who the hell he was. Right, exactly. I find it really fascinating that he's in this film. And this is where I'm going with this. So, A... That was kind of funny and cool that I noticed that. B, I wonder if he was in the film due to the, I know everyone tries to cover it up, but due to the history that Stallone has in adult films. So you I know, I don't know. Friends. It, it might have been. It dawned on me. It dawned on me. I mean, look, nobody wants to say Stallone was a porn guy, but he did do some. Yeah, I think he, well, he did two, three. Mm-hmm. But, you I don't know, know exactly I, how many, but I know that. I mean, I'm not. But still, I'm that's not, how we got to start, you know. Yes. I mean, yeah, I'm not judging him. I'm just saying that he did, and I found it interesting that Jamie Gillis was in a role that, you know, the boom operator could have handled. <laughs> yeah. Somebody but it's Jamie Gillis. Him. Yeah. Hell, Joe Spinell might have known him. Oh yeah. Well, that's true too. You're right. I mean, so, but just interesting. But I just, yeah. it just, you know, I noticed it this time around because I did an extensive look at like the, the cast and seeing, you know, even in the extras, if I noticed, and I noticed I'm like Jamie Gillis. I'm like, oh, I know that name. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. but I honestly, I do know him from the, the, the I, I'll never forget. It was one of the first VHSs I had. It was cheap somewhere. It was Night of the Zombies. And, and it had Jamie Gillis on the cover. And it was like, Jamie Gillis. I'm like, It's a good. It's a great actor name. Yep. It's a great actor name. It's not. It's it's hard to forget. Hard, it's not hard as a memorable name. name as Rucker Howard, though. Gotta no, say. that's a good one too. You're right. That's about the name that. you say. How many how many people you know named Rucker? Not no, a not a, not a whole lot. <laughs> I don't even know him, so I don't know. <laughs> right. So I, yeah, I don't know anybody. That's a yeah, definitely. You know, but um, but it was just an interesting little thing. Um. You know, else, thing, oh no go ahead, go ahead well what i was going to say too to kind of wrap up i think part of the the you know the characterizations the things like that you know it's also based the, the 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 film 
went through so many different the story the, the the original story went through so many different hands and so many different changes that it started off as French Connection three, and then ends up as the movie it is. And, I did not know that. So yes. it was supposed to be a French Connection sequel, I guess. French probably Connection Gene Hackman 3. didn't want to probably didn't want to come back. Gene yeah, Hackman, Gene. believe it or not, Gene Hackman was this. He wasn't sure. He was hedging. I don't think the producers even wanted to deal with anybody hedging. And the Billy D. Williams character was supposed to be like his partner, his wisecracking partner, played by one Richard Pryor. Ooh, that would have been interesting. That's what the movie was started out as. By the time it got to what we saw, it's totally, totally, totally different. One yeah, of the c- things was that the script was based off The Jackal. That's it's been movies made called The Jackal, you know, too. Right, right. Uh, but it was supposed to be off the you know, the real terrorist that was back then who was known as the Jackal. And he was sort of a really well-known, like almost like an Osama bin Laden for that era, uh, you know, type of guy. So, you know, just to know that it, it, it's kind of amazing to me to see a movie, um, not just to see the movie, but to see where the origin of a movie starts and where it ends up being. Yeah, I there's, guess so, what... there's so much a loss in translation and be added in post. You yes. know, it's just like, you know, from the a conception of a movie to the actual completion is so fucking different. I've, I've seen it even on the minuscule indie level that mm-hmm. I worked on. And I know you mm-hmm. have, too. You see where mm-hmm. a movie is the genesis and where the idea comes from. And then by the time it makes it... <laughs> To, to, right. to release, it's it is barely recognizable. It's almost like Rucker, Rucker Hauer in this movie. You know, it's just like it went through a plastic surgery of its own. Yes, yes, absolutely, and that's the thing too. So, so, and and that's the whole. The, this is one of those movies that I think that when I saw it uh, for the first time, I don't remember when it was. I, I honestly don't. I know it had to have been like you know on VHS or maybe it was on cable. I loved it. Because I was finally seeing a forbidden film. And I just thought, man, you know, it was a great movie. It's like, man, this is a great movie. This is great. Oh, so cool. Rudger Hauer, man, he was such a bad guy. It's all great. And you watch it now, and I notice those things that are missing. Because they're things that I just thought were there. Yep. And but that's it shows my... how our point of view changes after decades, you know. Yeah. And your sophistication as a movie watcher. Definitely. Like, I, I appreciate, like, a lot of the little things this movie has. Mm-hmm. Like, little touches, like, I'll just touch base on a couple of them. Like, with the alley scene when, you know, the, De Silva and Fox are trying to get the a couple more muggers and the other cops show up. Mm-hmm. And there's a little argument, you know, back and forth. Hey, you ruined our bus and whatnot. But as they're walking away, <laughs> Fox throws down the, the crumpled up, you know, form that the, the cops had just given him. And, he, and Stallone is just like, hey, don't litter. Right, right. <laughs> you like, yeah, yeah. look at the city around you. It's already bad enough. Little things like that. Little right, things right. that... Like I noticed, and even uh, not to always bring it back to Howard, but that's also a reason why we're here. Uh, like he is is a handsy actor. He uses his fingers and uses his hands for a gentle touch of things. Mm-hmm. I noticed this in a lot of his films that I've been rewatching them. I mean, I've always noticed it, but I noticed it even more as I've been watching. You know, this movie, The Hitcher, Split Second. He uses his hands to touch objects and people in, in a way that is contradictory to what his character 
mm-hmm. you know, should be doing. Like when he kills Kenneth, he gently wipes his hand over his face and covers his eyes before he shoots him. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I like noticed in watching surviving the game the other day, how he's, he's, you know, picking at his fingers and, and like clipping his, his nails and giving himself his own like little manicure while he's first talking to ice tea, just mm-hmm. little things like that. He's a very physical. He's a very physical actor. He he uh, he, he does the same thing with his face and his head. He tilts his head a lot, and he you know, he uses he has such pronounced and striking facial features. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't you know like when you look in the mirror, you see camera. When I look in the mirror, I see me. It's almost impossible to know what, what you look like, right? Like it's right. almost impossible to know like what do I look like to other you know to to other people or something. And he's one of those guys, so I don't believe he does know that. But I just think that he's the kind of, he's the actor that that was the method that he was comfortable with and he chose to do it that way. And due to the, his physical appearance, it works so well. So and, and, well And sometimes him. it's it's never really like, I'm not saying that uh, Rucker Howard never went, uh, think of the term I'm looking for here, is over the top. But mm-hmm. a lot of his stuff was so subtle. Mm-hmm. You know, like even like in, you know, we're backtracking a bit here, but in the early part uh, where he bombs the boutique, mm-hmm. you know, where he's, you know, s- you know, she's showing him the perfume and he's sniffing and he's like his nostrils flare a certain way and way he's like gently edging that package, you know, underneath the the counter with his foot, you know, while he's mm-hmm. doing that. And he just grins in a certain way that is just so subtle where I think other actors would have taken it to an over the top Right. Area. right. Well, and that's but like I mean. you said, he's yeah. got those striking features that just makes even the most subtle of things uh, just so fucking noticeable. It's so great to like that works so well on camera. There was something that we were talking before we started recording this about about someone who, who you knew as well. Very, very good friend of mine, uh, Danny Hicks, the actor Danny Hicks. Mm-hmm. And it was really funny. I'll never forget this conversation that me and him had had when we were, when, when he would spend, when he would come and, and visit and spend time with me and Angie, we would, every night, he, he hated movies, by the way. He didn't watch any movies. He couldn't stay in movies. He liked being <laughs> in them, but he didn't like, he, he was a reader. He liked to read. He didn't really like to watch films. So, but when he came here, it was like his little movie vacation. He finally was going to watch movies with friends. And he was going <laughs> to sit down and watch these movies. Tried to enjoy a movie for once, right? <laughs> right, right. So he was he was telling me like we were we were watching a couple movies, and he was telling me you know a couple stories about actors which would come up. And we were watching movies, things like people he had worked with or something, you know, in movies we were watching stuff. And I remember I don't remember which actor it was, but I remember it said, "Oh yeah, he's definitely he's he's got a big head." And Danny was like, oh, no, 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 he was a real nice guy. He didn't have, oh, no, 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 Danny, he has a big head. And Danny just kind of looked at me, I go, Danny, I go, I said, that's why you're like more of a character actor and it's hard for people to kind of see it. You have a normal sized head. And he just <laughs> looked at me, I go, go find me an actor who doesn't have a, who is famous, who doesn't have a giant head. And he started, he started looking, he's like, oh my God, oh my God, their heads are huge. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I said, I just noticed that when I was watching these movies, I'm like, man, that guy's got a big head. Yeah, and, and I've often said the camera does 
tend to lie to you, but also mm-hmm. the camera loves some people and others not so much. Right. And Rudger Hauer, the camera, the, the camera had a fetish for him. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. And, and so that is Stallone was like that. Was Stallone the best looking guy? No, but the camera thought he was. The camera was like, I, this guy's face is so bizarre on camera. And there's something I don't think that you can, there's nothing you can do about it. You either have or you don't. And there's just some people I think that are really, really great actors. We mentioned Danny Hicks. I, Danny to me was a guy who was a great actor, but he had such a normal guy look. And he was a smaller dude too. He's like shorter guys. He had such a that you didn't rec. I didn't recognize him in movies. We're friends. I'm sitting here watching a movie with him in it, telling him that's not him. Half the time you I know, watch like, my, I watch a movie that uh, I'm not doing any self plugging here, but on the rare occasion I've acted, I don't recognize myself in half the stuff I acted in. I'm just <laughs> like like I know that's me, and I don't know that's the scene because I was there. But like, is that me, or did they film the stand in? <laughs> I, how many times have I told you before this conversation you have a giant brain and a giant head? <laughs> yep. See? Yep. <laughs> See, there you Son go. Of a bitch. <laughs> and I mean, it that all the most comes down to way. this. Yeah. yeah, right. Well, it's so, hard to find a hat that fits my big ass head. No, yeah. <laughs> but, but no, but when you really stop, like if you think about um, like Rudger Hauer, man, you put him in like the old Mad Magazines, like the caricature, you know it's Rudger Hauer. I mean, that guy oh, yeah. has got facial features that will never be replicated. Uh, and he could have played damn near anything. And that's you know, the thing, I mean, he did. You know, he was one of those few actors who made that transition from, just not to get too off topic, remember, from a movie like this to playing a guy who is fighting terrorists six years, five years later in One Dead or Alive. Yeah. You know, he is essentially playing the De Silva part in this in One Dead or Alive, you know. Right, right. <laughs> then right. again, you know, that, that was this weird casting anyway, because that movie also had Benson, Robert Guillaume. Yeah, Robert Guillaume. Yeah. Uh, him and, and Gene Simmons as an international terrorist. It, yeah. it, it, was, it was weird casting all around. Still love sure. that movie. Byproduct right. of, an, of the 80s. It'd never be made today. But the, that had to have been a canon movie, right? That was a canon movie, wasn't it? I'm, I'm pretty sure. If not, have, it's, it is now. <laughs> if it, it is, yeah. If it, I just deemed it a canon movie. It has to be canon, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I'll, fi- I mean, I'll find out by the time the show ends. But, okay, very good. So, <laughs> but but no, and and the thing is, is that this that is one of the things with Nighthawks with me is that it, it's a little frustrating watching it now because it's not as good as it was because the the um, the forbidden parts way 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 gone. I mean, we're old men now. I mean, you know, it is what it is. But 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 did you strip that away? And then you have 40 years of some pretty rough and tumble movies between now and then, you know, coming between us with very violent scenes and stuff like that. Then you're watching this movie and then all of a sudden you can see some of the edits. You can see some of the trimming that was done just in front of you. And I don't know, like, if you've noticed, like. Uh, let's just, I, I guess I won't, I'll let you do it since it's your show. I won't give it, give it away, but let's say the end of the film. Okay. Mm-hmm. So let's say the end it it's not difficult to count the shots fired versus the bullet holes in the sweater that, you know, Rudger Hauer rated Pamela Voorhees. <laughs> <laughs> I actually have a note here and I will totally take a picture of it. I'm like, love, 
I love Howard's takeover of the tram car. And in the parentheses, I'm like, but underneath that awesome jacket, he's wearing a Pamela Voorhees sweater. Yeah, it's very so similar. I noticed it as well. But yeah, like where did the cuts, uh, to get back to what you were talking about, where did the cuts happen? Because there's at least five or six bullet wounds, you know, and blood blood squibs going off in his, in that nifty Voorhees sweater, but only two shots are fired. Right. That was all edited. It's, yeah. Yeah. It was all butchered. I yeah, mean, the, and the, then the, he was, his, his head was supposed to get, uh, his head was supposed to get um, blown up by a, by a bullet. He's supposed to get shot in the head and his head was supposed like the back of his head was supposed to blow out. And I, I know Dick Smith did like a, a head for it. And and uh, so it why, was why would they cut something like that out that great Dick Smith Smith work? Well, because it was 1981. Yeah. And and, and and in 1981, we we have we have talked about this on previous shows, I know together, that back then the 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 do-gooders were upset about the violence. And the gore that we were seeing, if you go back and look at them now, they're PG, basically. You know, like most of this stuff is oh, PG. Yeah. But, well, but half that stuff would be allowed on like network television anymore. Oh, oh, you could, yeah. I mean, like uh, uh, an episode, an average episode of Walking Dead would have been NC 17 almost back then if they had it, if they had that rating. You know, it would be R, R, R. You know, I mean, any kind of that kind of gore. Any kind of language or nudity, you know, like this, send it straight into rated R land, you know, and stuff. So yep. to me, it's it's almost like I find it it's a little insulting that you have to hand you have to you know, hold hands with adults <laughs> going to a theater like they can't handle seeing fake violence. Right, it's fake right. violence. You know, I mean, it's it's tantamount to pro wrestling. It's uh, I've never violence. I've never agreed with that kind of level of censorship anyway, but. Right, and, and it's it never hurts. made sense to me. Right, and it hurts what what otherwise is a really neat little ending, you know, and stuff. So again, you're seeing Rudger Hauer like just getting bloody and bloody and bloody and like going around. The, he's supposed to be being shot. Yeah, like, and, and, and when he like makes that last ditch effort to kind of raise his knife up and and stab at Stallone, I think that's probably where the back of his head was supposed to be blown off. I'm I'm pretty sure. I, it it could be. I don't know. You know, like I'd, I said, I'd be I'm willing not, to bet money yeah. on it because, as you said, you know, you can kind of see where the clips were taken out of it. And it's like, wait a minute, this should have and probably did happen right here. Right, <laughs> you know? right, right. And it's sad too because that that moment and the moment on the tram car, which which we we need to talk about that too because that's a good scene. You know, um, oh, that, that I had Patty ask me a question when we were watching that. She's like, all right, so what would you do rather do first? Ride around in a tram car or go on a, a yacht uh, or a cruise ship on the ocean? I'm like, well, neither. Because <laughs> I don't uh -huh. like the water and I don't like heights. But I'm like, uh -huh. uh, this is the movie that solidified the fact that I would never get in a, on a, a tram like that. No, no. Well, it's interesting. You know, I've been to New York a bunch of times. Not that a lot of people haven't. I've never seen that thing. We actually, we both looked in, and it's, it's real. I mean, it's there. I know it's real. It's there, you know, stuff like that. But I've never been, to my knowledge, I haven't been in New York when that thing was ever like running or anything. And so like, I remember when I was young, I was a kid watching the movie. Didn't do, I didn't think about it. Cause you're just watch, watching a movie taking place somewhere in time and space. Right. You don't right, really think right. much when you're a kid, like you don't, you don't know about all of the the national monuments like Hitchcock used to do things like that, you know, and stuff. You you, you just it's just a scene to you. It's just I, a movie. 
Right. I never thought anything about this, but then we were watching it. She's like, where's that going? I go, I don't know. <laughs> you know, like, I'm like, what is that thing? I, I've never seen it, never heard of it. Not only that, but I've got to be completely honest with you. I didn't even, never even heard of Roosevelt Island. I'm being honest with you. I, 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 I mean, don't I be never, either. I didn't know. And I've been to New York a lot. Now, New York's a big place and it's very separated from neighborhood to neighborhood, but yeah, I've never heard of it. Uh, the different boroughs, as they call it. Yeah. Right. But one thing that did catch my catch my attention is, you know, uh, just kind of doing a little research into the film for this. It, it was apparently shut down for a week to shoot. And the way public transportation moves in New York City, I cannot think the people who were trying to get to Roosevelt Island for that week ever wanted to ever see Nighthawks. Nothing <laughs> 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 to do with it. I screwed their work week up. I didn't know that it was shut down for a week. I had heard that uh, I'd read that it was shut down for a while, but I, I didn't know about yep. that. The only thing I knew about the, the, the tram car sequence was uh, the story that Stallone had told about doing the stunt of, uh, mm -hmm. you know, of uh, being lowered, raised and lowered into that thing and doing that stunt himself. That would never be allowed today. They would never put their lead actor in that type of position. That would be totally done with, Either A, stuntman, or B, like CG green screen. Totally. Be that, probably today. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I was a little, I was a little surprised too. I mean, I'm actually a little surprised even back then. They, they, they let him do that. But then, you know, he wanted to do it and it sounded like he was running the show. But then again, he wanted to do it, but it also sounded like he was really, really afraid of heights himself. But he didn't, yeah. he didn't really like it. So, you know, part of me is like, ah, oh, you know, that's, that's, you're suffering for your art. So, you know, so I, I, I respect that in a way. The other part to me is like, you're just an actor. I mean, you could suffer for your part. You're not going to make the world a better place. <laughs> right, right. I mean, it's, it's interesting that he thought, you know, the, an, enough of it to, to put himself out there like that. But I'm sure it was a little bit of ego in there involved as well, I'm sure. Right. The one part that always bothered me, though, about that scene, I think it ruins it. Almost. Almost ruins it. If, if Rutger Hauer wasn't so great in that scene, look, sorry. One of the best, one of the best scenes for Hauer in this movie. Uh, well, best line in the movie, I like your hat. <laughs> I loved it. I, that was hilarious. You know that was ad-libbed. It had to have been. Oh, I had to. It's a great, well, I don't know exactly what you said. Great hat, or I like your hat. <laughs> uh, I love that had to going been. around and kind of introducing he, himself. Yeah, yeah, to, to I everybody. Like and he's like, how old's, how old's the baby? Oh, I think you know, eight months or whatever. And he's like, hmm. And again, Rooker Hauer always with that gentle touch. He, he takes the baby's hand and caresses his little yes. baby fingers for a second. It's like, oh, so yes. creepy. Yeah, I love that. I mean, that's great. That's what I'm talking about. Like, he's so friendly, so friendly and gentle and nice, you know. But for I, I love and then a couple love, seconds later, he's shooting a woman, throwing her off the thing. Yeah, but I love yeah. like the part when he introduces his his sidekick, uh, Ashaka. You know, when he's like, she does not have any maternal instincts right. whatsoever. Like, right. like, don't think that this beautiful vixen over here is not going to pull the trigger because she most certainly will. Right. And right. I just Absolutely. love that. Well, the part that really, like, I think takes the whole thing and ruins it. And I don't know why this had to. I don't know. Actually, without having final cut, Stallone not having it. I don't even know why it's even in the film. Or why it wasn't voiced over. Because it's one of the most easiest voiceover possibilities in the history of film. Because he has a microphone 
on him while he's doing the cop the the helicopter scene. Oh, I think I know where you're going at here because where where she's way. gonna she's gonna shoot he's gonna shoot her and someone goes, oh Jesus Christ, no don't yeah don't do I'm it. like oh, there's Jesus no Christ, emotion in that it. yeah there's no emotion in that line I, I did not buy that part I actually had a note here about that so again again very glad that yeah. uh, you brought that up and another and thing I didn't like the way when they bring Stallone up into the tram. And Rucker Hauer forces him to say he's brought the city to its knees and the police are cowards. Again, that line by Stallone almost like I get it. Like he's not he's he's not with having to say that and not having to, you know, quote unquote, admit that in front of all these people. Mm-hmm. But like I didn't buy it. I, I mm-hmm. just just didn't buy it, I guess. I don't think and I don't think um, that was like, really awkward, too, because like. And may, maybe because we live in a world now where we're our media is in our hand and our pocket most of the time with our phone and everything, but it just seemed like what's the purpose of you saying making him say that? No one can hear him except for people on the tram who clearly understand what you're doing to him. Yeah. So you're not you're. I mean, like it's almost like Rugger Hauer is not doing anything to Sylvester Stallone. That if I remember, I mean. It's not like he was on television where everyone could hear him say it, so he could tell New York, New York is to its knees. No, he just says, you say it to these people, and it's clearly being coerced to do it. How is that helping anybody or anything? I I think think it was was just in a way to, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the right term here, but. uh, Show his superiority in the moment. I mean, yeah, yeah, uh, I guess, yeah, I guess that's what I'm looking for. It was just a yeah. way to show him, like, I got the upper hand. I can make you say or do whatever I want, not because it's, you know, it's going to achieve anything, but just because it suits me. I guess maybe it didn't fit the character. Yeah. It didn't fit somebody who, he, he, I was almost like cartoonish, not cartoon, it was sort of like buffoonery. It was like, yeah, I don't think Rudger Hauer's character, uh, I don't think he wasted time like that. Like, I, no. I just don't think he, he, he was going to be that kind of, he was business to me. Like he, he did have a, a gr- shit eating grin, you know, and stuff that was great and all that stuff. He but liked just, the discos. Yeah. He, he did like discos. I mean, that, yeah. but that's, again, that's a, a good plot point because that's how they find him. Isn't it? Yes. Disco. Right. And that's how he finds victims to leech off of while he's doing his work. Like poor Pam, mm-hmm. like oh, I made a note here. Hillary Thompson played her. He he doesn't lie to her when she asks no. him what he does. He says, yeah. "I'm an interas- international terrorist and a lady killer." So, in a manner of speaking, he doesn't lie. Right. right. But I no, felt so sorry for her when he says the line to her. He's like, "You're going to a better place," or you know, mm-hmm. "You're going to a better life." The same line he says to Kenneth right before he kills him. Mm-hmm. so chilling you know not like i'm gonna kill you motherfucker no you're going to a better life like he right. really believes that what he's doing is a good thing right right and yeah that's what makes a good villain again i know i've, I've said that several times you know here already right. but that's what makes such a damn good villain and i and i agree with you i think that and i do like this movie and, and i i did enjoy going back to watching it i it's it's about 10 or 15 minutes i think too long now in today's world but that has more to do with, I think, the clumsiness of what we notice and see now. I think when you have a movie that 
has so many onion layers because of like all the cooks in that kitchen. I think that you notice it more today than you did then. And I think that um, it does hurt it. Um, but, but there's so many little good pieces that you kind of wish it would have been stuck together differently, or maybe the original vision, or maybe a Stallone wouldn't have been such a megalomaniac at the time that the original idea could have been, but I think Stallone would have benefited heavily had the, had he let Rudger Hauer steal that movie. Yeah. Because he did it anyway. Agreed. He did it anyway. You were going to have to edit Rudger Hauer completely out of that film in order for him not to steal it. Sylvester Stallone never should have an actor like that opposite him in a movie if he doesn't want to get upstaged. Because I agree. Just saying. I, I think, I, he, I, I think yeah. the, they all, to be quite honest, I think uh, the, the powers that be, Stallone included, uh, severely underestimated Hauer. I think oh, they're I, like, oh, they, he'll just be a good foil for our for our hero, you know. But they didn't mm-hmm. realize that <laughs> when right. you know when Rucker Howard's on camera, nothing else matters. <laughs> right, quite on, right. honest. Yeah, but then the problem is, then you then when they notice that, then they're afraid of him, and that even shows that shows too. And oh. I think you know that it, it, what's funny is the more Stallone rang, rang his hands over it, you know, you know it was benefiting, it was benefiting Rucker Howard. Mm-hmm. That whole movie benefited him, you know. No, it, Did it you read the world's the, eyes to who to really, you know, like internationally to who he was? Absolutely. And did you read too that that he had to decide whether to do this movie or The Sphinx? <laughs> Are you think, serious? I like, think he made the right decision. Oh my god! You know, you look at history. You look, and you know, with 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 hindsight being twenty twenty. I, I mean, The Sphinx or <laughs> or Nighthawks. I'm like. And, 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 you know, when I read, I didn't realize what bigger of a production that movie was. Yeah, apparently there was a lot more, he was, he stood to make a lot more money off of it, but he chose the Nighthawks anyway. And it was a much bigger film being made. You know, I, I didn't, I, both movies look perfect. I mean, you know, it's, it's not the, even, even the Sphinx looks great. You know what I mean? So it's it's overall, it's not really a good movie. Oh, fuck. No, it's not. I mean, no, no. You know, it's it's he made the right decision. (laughs) You know, that that's for sure. I mean, he dig it. He would have never have gotten noticed had he been in the Sphinx. Nobody I I bet I bet 90 percent of the people right now have no idea what movie I'm just talking about. Like, I know I've seen it, but I don't remember shit. There's nothing memorable about it. You know, it's just not that kind of movie. It's just, you know, I mean, it's You know, I I feel like he did this movie for one reason, to say the line, you may drop the child, but do not drop this. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I had to get that one out there. Yeah. Without well, context, I mean, it's a, it's folks, a, he, he hands uh, Stallone, for those of you listening at home, he hands Stallone a baby to take the baby off the tram because, you know, he's a maniac, but he's not, you know, quote-unquote heartless, but then he hands him his list of demands. Right, <laughs> but I love right. it. Hey, drop the child, but do not drop this. It's just... Right. That's a great lie. Just, no, it is. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, mean, I had to say that. <laughs> no, it is. And I think that it, it's almost like uh, Stallone's trying too hard to make himself look cool up against... Rugger Howard, who isn't trying at all, he just is, right? And 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 it's it's showing in this film, and I think that you know Stallone, I'm sure, watches this movie and knows that immediately, and and even hear him talk, you know, he probably sits there and thinks, man, if I would have, if I knew then what I know now, I would have just sat back, 
drank my latte, and I would have let Rugger Howard take this movie all the way to the bank. Yeah, that would have been a much bigger hit, which would have just brought more notoriety to Stallone just by, you know, assimilation, so to speak. You know, it just would have been like, you're along for the ride. If somebody else elevates the project, that means you're elevated as well. It's a good... It's a good life lesson, you know, that had he let, had he put his ego aside, he would have actually gotten a lot more ego out of it. Yep. But sometimes, you know, like you said, hindsight, right? Hindsight is twenty twenty. That is, that is true. You know, it's a, it, it's, it's, it's a movie that um, will never not be in my library though. And and this it's a great cast. Even if this movie was put together the way a lot of movies were back then, they sure kept us happy. They sure kept us entertained. Yeah, it was still entertaining. We might be, you know, I, I will venture to say we're maybe being a little nitpicky, but damn, it's still a damn good movie. You yeah. know, even for all the the faults that it has, it's a good movie. I, I think other than cutting. Uh, not, maybe not cutting, but not having Billy D. Williams present in the in the last third, you know, mm-hmm. in the final act and act three of this movie makes it suffer. But the ending is pretty exciting because this is, you know, uh, I got to at least say this once. This is not an action film. No, no. This is a, you know, a, a drama with uh, some action overtones because, you know, other than really the 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 foot chase through the city streets and through the subway. And the, that last few minutes of the of, of the movie, there's not really a whole lot of action. It's a police uh, procedural, you know, yeah. at, at heart, really. I mean, this yeah. could have been a you know a, a two episode arc on SVU or something, or Law and Order, you know. Well, right, right, and I, I I'm I'm agreeing with you, and it is a good movie. It's just that when you're when you look at a movie that we've known for forty years, and then you return to it, I can't help but to constructively criticize it. Oh, at the same, what the same be, way. Yeah, of what it could be. It's just like a good it, friend. If I don't pick on you a little bit, then you, you, if I don't pick on you, then you know I don't like you. Right. right. I only pick on right. those I like. I, uh, otherwise, I just ignore you. That's why I do the, the, this show is because, yeah, I might look at these things with a critical eye, but it doesn't make me love them any less. Right. Well, Because as much as we've been picking on it, I think you'll be surprised at where my rating's coming in at here in a little bit. Yeah, uh, maybe I don't know if you'll mind or not. Anyway, anyway, but 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 it's there's it's a good time capsule. Um, that's another thing I think that might get lost sometimes. You know, New York City's went through a lot of different phases, and that seventies and early eighties phase was scary, almost. Oh yeah, you know, yeah, I know it made a, it painted yeah. New York City in the light of a place that you did not want to go to, right? These certain I, areas of it. I know what uh, uh, you might run into Joe Spinell. <laughs> Whether it's in this in this movie or a maniac, you know, either way, you probably didn't want to run into him. And I Joe, mean that with the utmost of love because yeah. I love Joe. I love no, Joe I know, but Joe Spinell looks like the walking embodiment of the bad part of town. You just yes. you know, yes, see I'm him sure if he was alive today, he would probably agree with that sentiment. He probably he probably would. He know? probably would like he, that's the reason why I had a career, sir. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> I had, you know, it is one of the curious things. Like, I understand why everyone else was fired and hired off this film. I get it; it's pretty obvious and stuff. It still bothers me what happened between them two. Yeah, I, I would like, know. I would like to know what happened because, like you said, uh, you paid the guy's rent, you know, and probably paid a few utility bills for him. So it'd be a shame that if it was just ego on a set that drove a wedge between them. Because 
I miss seeing him in Rocky one and two. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I mean, uh, it's, it's, there, I mean, there's... any, oh, no, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, I just, it's just, I, I don't, it's, I'm not really a gossipy kind of guy when it comes to movies and things like this, you know, so I don't really care most of the time. That one I do kind of care about a little bit, just out of morbid curiosity more than anything else. You know, there's no real important reason, but except for my curiosity is peaked where normally it isn't. Like what happened between these two? And maybe it is because, shoot, by this time, you ought to know. I mean, we know everything. You know, I mean, you know, most stories have come out about films, especially after people passed and stuff. And Joe Spinell died a long time ago. Oh, yeah, you know, he's been gone. Uh, he was gone, what, just uh, not too long after this came out? Just several years. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't be around much longer. No, uh-uh, no. And, I mean, you know, he, he was, he he maneuvered his way through some, you know, horror films and everything, too. And he was a good actor. He had an awful face, but it was great. He had a face for radio. But it, it, it was, it was, yeah, it was a face built for radio. <laughs> yeah, the words he, right out of my mouth. Man, he used it. He used it well. You know, it was, but he also had a great voice. You know, he had he a great voice. I mean, my God, like um, that's why I thought it was so weird how they they dubbed him in Star Crash. Like, I was like, why? Why would you get rid of that? I mean, maybe they didn't want that Bronx accent coming through, but it just didn't make sense to me. Yeah, well, you you ex- you explain to me why they why they they dubbed. Uh, Harvey Keitel and Saturn Three, and then come back to me and ask, ask why they dubbed Joe Spinell in uh, Star Crash, and maybe we'll have another podcast we could talk about. Maybe, it maybe like, we'll do that as a subgenre of bad dubbing. Oh my <laughs> god! Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> terrible, oh. terrible. So, but yeah, so no, I mean we're poking at the movie a little bit, but I think the movie's so good for what it came out. I think it deserves a poking now. I do. Yeah. I just think it deserves it. I think it deserves because you know it's one of those movies that people look back, back fond, fondly on, but it needs a fair assessment. Yeah, exactly. Every movie does. Yeah. Eventually, yeah. It deserves to have his day in court. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So. But I think we have firmly given this movie its day in court. What do you say we uh, give our final summary and a and our usual rating? Sure. You know how we do things around here. Guests go first and rating on a scale from one to ten, if you will. I am going to give this movie a six point five. Uh-huh. Because I just thought that six point five sounded right to me. <laughs> no, okay. I, I think Fair it's enough. good. I don't think it's I don't think it's held up as well as some other movies. Look, 1981 is sort of an inside joke to me. It's my favorite year in films. You get the great werewolf movies coming out. You have Friday 13th Part 2 coming out. Oh, I mean, you know, come on. You're only a year shot. I mean, Carpenter's making the thing. <laughs> you know, I mean, you have... Yeah, it, the, the, the year between 81 and 82 was a great, great 12 months there. It, it, it's just... I just love... I mean, it's probably the age I was, but I think what it has to do with the film stock that was around that time, the way they were making films and editing them just really spoke to me. It really, really did. And so I think that given movies, I think do hold up really well. I don't think it doesn't hold up. I think it shows its pimples more, though, while it's standing there in front of you. Yeah, it kind of shows the blemishes a little bit. Yes. And I I think that um, it's not afraid of them necessarily. It's showing them to you. But I think when you go back and you know that it was a troubled production, 
It came out really well for being a troubled production. There's a lot of movies. I mentioned the Sphinx, right? Yeah. <laughs> a shit ton of movies. Saturn from... 3. Not, yeah. Not to mention that. Yeah. <laughs> right around that same time. I think that might have been 80, but I mean, right around that same time. You know, so there was a lot of movies that either were really, really awkward because of too many cooks in that old kitchen, or mm-hmm. they're completely forgotten, like the Sphinx, because they're they were just out in theaters to fill a screen up for a couple weekends, and they're gone. And you know, uh, this movie falls in between all those a little bit, but when it was out, it was a big hit. Watching it now, you can forgive those pimples because you understand why they're there. And it's actually a lot better than it probably should be given all of the problems and the journey that film took to screen. But they're still there. It's still there. So it's there. It's, and, and it can get frustrating because when I go back to see a movie like this, I kind of want my member berries satisfied. And when I go back and I watch Nighthawks, some of them are... But some of those pimples pop up that I didn't notice 30 years ago, you know, or something that I'm watching now. So I've got that's why I'm going to give it a 6.5. And that's not really an insult at all. I mean, it's it's a solid, solid uh, to me, a solid grade of a really solid movie that took a little bit of a hit over age, but not as bad as some. Not as bad as some. And we got Jamie Gillis. Yep, we got Jamie Gillis. We got a little bit of Steve Dash too. I didn't even know we had a dash of dash, but we got we got a. a you got have a dash the freeze dash frame to really. You got a dash of dash. You know you get a. <laughs> you have to really pause and freeze frame a couple of times to catch him, but he is definitely in there. You got my interest peaked now. Yeah, it's hard to not not uh, not to notice that magnificent mane of hair he used to have. You know, <laughs> if, you, if, you, if, you, if you know what to look for, even next to Stallone's. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't feathered quite as much, but it was a nice brush cut. But, oh my God, Stallone um, looks like I'm coming in the start of the Gong Show, so it's great. <laughs> yeah, like I said, it looked like he had just a, a brunette version of the Farrah Fawcett wig. <laughs> yeah, sure did. Yep. I'm coming in a little bit higher than you. I'm mm-hmm. gonna give this movie a firm eight. Mm. I, I would without the imperfections, the blemishes, the the pimples, as you call it, I'd probably give it a flat ten. I really mm. like this movie. It's one of the first movies that instilled fear in me hmm. just because of this, the, the terror in the aisle. So maybe that is part of the, as you uh, brought up a term, member berries, you know, right. maybe it's a bit of nostalgia. Now I'm going to give this a rare, rare dual rating. I give it an eight without Rucker Hauer, even with anybody else, it could have been Christopher Walken. It could have been, you know, any, anybody that you could possibly name playing Wolfgar, anybody else. I'd probably give it the 6.5 that you give it. Yeah, with, with the exception of Christopher Walken you brought up, which I didn't even think about that, but with the exception... It was of, just the first name that came up. Well, that, that that would be the only, one of the only replacements that I would say maybe you're wrong. But no, I... That, I totally see what you're saying. I totally agree with that sentiment about him. Yeah. yeah. I'd love to see some of the, the cut footage I know back in... Uh, was it late 2019 or 2020 when... Uh, Stallone had first announced that he was doing the director's cut of Rocky Four. That he said that one of the movies he would love to revisit and revisit the most to do a director's cut and have a more definitive cut come out would be Nighthawks. And oh. I kind of hope that he 
would do it. I don't mm. know if it's something that's really even within his grasp now or if, if it's within his power, but if he could, I would be down to see it because, you know, even if it's worse, better, whatever, I, I'm, I'm just, as a morbid curiosity, I just want to, I just want to fucking see it. <laughs> you but, know? Right, right. Especially, I mean, a lot of, a lot of the things that we addressed, the little, the little nitpicky complaints, we weren't the first people to say it. I mean, he's, he said some of this stuff before. Mm-hmm. He doesn't, I don't think he just, I don't think he would listen to this and disagree with most of what we were yeah, saying. Yeah, I don't think so either. Mm-hmm. But yeah, maybe. you know, I give it, I give it an eight, you know, like it, with the, the, all those uh, changes, maybe, you know, if a director's cut ever comes out, I will revisit this and amend my rating, uh, depending on how good or bad the, the director's cut is, if it ever sees the light of day. So I'll amend my rating if they uh, indeed do it. Yeah, I'd like, I'd like to see that, too. Yeah, because of what we just, the conversation we just had is that sounds like it would be something that would solve a lot of those issues we're talking about. Right on, right on. Now, I do have to give you a, an opportunity here to do any uh, same, uh, to do any shameless uh, self-promotion. So if you have anything going on that you want to plug, uh, whether it be on the Synapse Film Podcast or otherwise, uh, this is going to be coming out the month of May. So it might be old, old news by the time it comes out. Right, right. Well, no, I, uh, I would just say if you want to hear me babble on more, you could, yeah, go to the Synapse Films Synapse Films, synapsefilms.com, excuse me. And uh, if you actually scroll down to the bottom of the beginning page, the page you land on, I don't know what they call them anymore, landing pages or whatever, uh, you usually will see the most current two podcasts, but I think there's a whole page on the website of the podcast, but you can always go there and listen. But a lot of that pod, a lot of that podcast is not so much me as speaking as much as facilitating and letting those guys kind of, uh, you know, communicate with, uh, with their customers and, right. you know, the, the physical media collectors like you, you and myself, uh, you know, what, what they're doing and everything. But uh, I find I, I, what I try to do with that show, just so everybody knows is that we do talk about the films that they release, but I really try to kind of get into uh, how the films get released on video. You know, like how did, uh, how did Synapse acquire Suspiria? You know, I, I'm very interested in that kind of thing. So that's kind of what I we... I am too. Yeah, that's why that's I was happy of... when you brought me on for the for the, for the the Demons episode, because that was right, right in my wheelhouse. And I I love that episode, even if I hadn't been on it. If you... <laughs> oh, well, well you that's know, a good... Th- that there's, a good there's a good one right there. There's a plug and a plug. So if you go to the Synapse Films, or synapsefilms.com, and you look at the prior podcasts, if you find the one that is the Demons and Demons 2 podcast, my special guest is Senior Cameron Scott, who is right there talking to me right now. And he gets to chat a bit about Demons 2, and it's a good good conversation. Yeah, so. and, and I love like, listening to how, on, on your show, just listening to how Jerry and everybody at Synapse... <clears throat> you know, acquire the films and how they, you know, acquire the film elements, I guess you could say, and right. some of the work that goes into to that. I, I love that behind the scenes stuff. It's, right, it's just right. fascinating to me. I had an idea for a television show that was actually, you know, film hunters. That were people that would be somebody trying to go find lost films, places and stuff. And like, because people find these things in attics and everything, you know, and I just think it's fascinating. But 
me and maybe nine other people in the world might think it's fascinating. You're one of them probably, but yeah, you know, I, I'd be one of your nine su subscribers. I, I just, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I just think, you know, I think as someone who loves really old films, older films, and when you collect physical media, if you collect anything, you're a completist. And there's those titles that are thorns in our side that we just never got. We don't have because they're technically lost for now until till a, a print or a negative or something pops up, you know, exactly. and film doesn't last forever. So it's it's a race against time and interest. <laughs> yep. Yep. So uh, I find uh, it fascinating. You can't can't save them all, but I kind of wish you could. Oh, yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. Maybe not all of Jamie Gillis's films. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> but some of some them. Some of those, if they're lost, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to happen. <laughs> if they were lost when they were shown. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, that being said, Tim, I want to thank you for taking a couple hours or, or several hours out of your day because I know our off-the-air uh, conversations usually end up taking about as much time as our on-the-air conversations. So right. I appreciate you taking up a big, big chunk of your afternoon to uh Get a little nostalgic with some member berries about Ricker Howard. Well, it's an honor and a pleasure to be on. I, I appreciate it. And it's fun to it's fun to go down these I don't really do that on my podcast anymore. Like I say, I, I facilitate more than anything else. So to go down a, a rabbit hole, you know, like this of a film. And one that's not one of uh, Synapse's titles too, which you know, I have to kind of talk about Synapse on a podcast. So it's nice <laughs> it's nice to just, you know, go through a movie like this and and chit chat about it. It's fun. Yep, all good. Always good times with you, sir. Appreciate it. But that being said, uh, we'll bid you folks a fond farewell. You have been listening to Cinema Degeneration and the Rucker Howard Appreciation Month, and we have been reviewing and dissecting Nighthawks from 1981. As always, folks, thank you for listening. I'll announce my terms for their release when the proper authorities are present to hear them. I got it. Right. The Silver Fox, Wolfgar's on the tram. Please, I'm aware of every trick. Do not force me to prove it. Thank you. Now, we'll get better acquainted.